Welcome in to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. We're the podcast for Vol Basketball fans everywhere. We bring you discussions, debates, and the latest news on the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. Hello everyone and welcome in to another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford. I am joined again by Gene Henley. We welcome you in to the probably only episode of this week, unless some big news happens. It's been a, a f- actually fairly quiet week, which has been a little welcome. It's been a, a very busy offseason so far for both uh, Tennessee men's and women's basketball. We do have some notes, and we'll kind of touch on it from a, a, a topic here in a minute, about the Layvals making some hire, another hire and going out on the recruiting trail and stuff as well, and then sitting out a bunch of different offers uh, lately. But if we get into all that, I, I, again, want to thank all of you uh, for listening along at home, at work, at the gym, driving wherever you may be. We really appreciate it uh, for following us our social media accounts as well. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. We're also on Twitter and Facebook, at Vol Hoops Fever on Twitter and Vol Basketball Fever on Facebook. We're close to 600 likes on Facebook, uh, about 550 likes or followers, excuse me, on Twitter. So really, really appreciate you guys and the support you've been showing us. And, you know, again, this is already been a busy offseason. Imagine there's still going to be headlines and news coming out uh, for both the men's and women's basketball programs at Tennessee this offseason. So be stay tuned here. Be on the lookout for more news, and we'll cover it as it happens. But speaking of you guys, or the listeners here, I wanted to get you guys involved on the show here. So I'll ask for some questions on social media to see what you guys want to talk about because we're, you know, we have topics we can discuss here, things that I, I think would make for, for interesting topics. But I want to know what you guys wanted to talk about, some things you, you know, questions you had, topics you thought would be interesting. So as for it's a, a kind of a mailbag episode of sorts, but um, we got I think three or four good topics here that Gina I want to discuss. So let's go ahead and hop right into one of them here. I think a, a an easy one to answer maybe maybe not, but uh, the the first one comes from Facebook and it's from Daniel Satterfield, and he asks, "Is Tennessee going to have a better offense than last year?" I think yes because it, it, they well they better <laughs> first of all, but I don't think it's it, it'd be pretty hard to have a less efficient kind of worse offense than what they had last season when you look from you know like I said an efficiency standpoint uh, them scoring multiple games of, of 50 points or so of multiple games under you know 65 points um, just not being very up and down they had they'd have games where they'd score in the upper 70s and 80s and, and look you know fairly competent on offense and look like they, they knew what they're doing and then bounce back and have a, just an abysmal game. You look at Ole Miss, you look at the NCAA tournament game. Um, there are a couple other games you can point to uh, obviously very early on in the year. So I think it's a pretty easy yes answer, Gene, because you look at Justin Powell, you're bringing in Kennedy Chandler, you're bringing in <coughs> um, Huntley Hatfield, uh, you're having, you know, with those guys getting those roles, you would you would imagine that a Victor Bailey and a Viscovi could have, uh, you know, fit in better in different roles in the offense and you know, especially with Vescovi being able to maybe be more of an off-ball guard and, and whatnot. If Fulkerson is fully healthy and returning back to form, you'd imagine he would provide a little bit more of a spark on offense than he did this past year. So I think it's a, a pretty ans- simple answer of yes. I think really, you know, how good, how much better will the offense be is the big question, but I do think the offense uh, will be better than it was this past season. Yeah, and, you know, as you, as you said, like they better – um, be better, and you know if you just look at the the personnel. I mean, like I always harken back to that 2018-19 team that was so successful. I think they averaged like 82 points a game. I mean, that's 
that's what this offense can be when they have multiple people who can do certain things on the court. I mean, you, you don't have a Grant Williams type player here, but also in theory, um, <laughs> Brandon Huntley Hatfield is your Grant Williams in theory, because with that particular lineup where, you know, if you're looking at a guy who's kind of a four, um, then in theory, that's what he is. Now he's obviously a different player. You obviously want him to play a different style, but that's essentially um, uh, that's essentially what you're talking about there. And then you've got uh, instead of Jordan Bowen, you have Kennedy Chandler. Um, you know, like Lamonte and Bowden is now some semblance of Vescovi and Bailey or Powell. I mean, depending on his eligibility situation. Um, <clears throat> and um, then your Admiral Schofield is maybe Powell there, um, and you just run with two smaller guards and then Powell at the three, or you can go with Josiah James. Uh, so, but you, what, but what I look at it is you have multiple people who can create, um, you know, Fulkerson can be a finisher. Um, you know, you've got the new kid, Adu, that can, you know, hopefully finish some for you. You know, you've got multiple guys who can sit there and create for you and, to be effective, you've got to have creators. Um, and if you don't have creators, then guess what? You don't have much of an offense. And if you don't put, if you don't strike fear in your opponents, um, then you're going to have so many times where your offense is stagnant. Um, and that's and that's quite possible. Like again, last year the problem was you didn't really have many guys that struck fear in you, so you were easy to guard. Same thing that happened uh, last season. 2019-20 before or after the uh, after Lamonte uh, retired so um, I think I know what this offense can be and people can say that it's antiquated or whatever the case may be but yeah it looks that way when you don't have the sorts of players it's not about star rankings or anything like that it's just do you have the sorts of players that can execute this style and I think they're more suited to execute that style I mean they were just an inconsistent offense last year. They weren't bad. They were just inconsistent. They had some 80-point games. Uh, you know, They had 80 on Kansas, like 78 on Arkansas, whatever the case may be. So they were effective at times. They just have to find a way to consistently put numbers up while also having an effective defense. Yeah, no, I think that's a pretty absent answer. I 100% agree with you said, and I think we've talked about that in a previous podcast as well. So Let's move on here to the next one. I, th I think this one will take a little bit of time and it'll probably be the, the main topic of the episode, but I think it's a, a very interesting question from Garth Vader, which I think is really cool. Name on Twitter, at GarthVader18. Is Rick Barnes capable of winning a national title? I think that's a very interesting question because you look at this past year, obviously with Baylor winning it and Scott Drew getting a national title for the first time in his career, and then you look at you know, the last time there was a tournament, there obviously wasn't one in 2020, but Tony Bennett finally getting his national title for him too. That had kind of broken a streak of it being a lot of the same names. Because you look before that, you had Jay Wright getting his second, Roy Williams getting his third, Jay Wright getting his first, Mike Krzyzewski, Kevin Ollie is a little bit of a, of a outlier in there, but Rick Pitino, obviously a, a legendary coach in there, Calipari, Jim Calhoun, Krzyzewski, uh, Roy Williams, Bill Self, Billy Donovan, Billy Donovan, Roy Williams, Jim Calhoun, Jim Beheim. So it, you, you've had really the past 20, 25 years or so, it's been a lot of the same names getting 
into the national championship game and winning it? I think it's a really interesting question because Rick Barnes has one Final Four, three lead eights. You know, obviously hasn't done that at Tennessee, but did that at Texas. Tennessee as a program has only ever made it to one Elite Eight, period. I mean, that, that's as far as this program has ever gotten um, in the entire history of, of, you know, of the school, of them playing men's college basketball. I mean, Gene, anything is possible, to quote Kevin Garnett, uh, anything is possible. They, I mean, it's it's possible they could do it, capable of doing it. I, I don't – I'm going to say – and this is just based, you know, my opinion. I, I, I personally, as a, as a, you know, ball basketball fan, would like to be proven wrong on this. I don't think Barnes is capable of winning a national title at Tennessee with the way things are currently set up, with the way he has, you know, his philosophy and whatnot, and you know, the players that Tennessee has. It, obviously, maybe this year, you know, I don't know, two years, three years from now, what the roster is going to look like. But this season, I don't think so. Next season, I don't think so either. I capable. Maybe I just I don't see it happening, and it's one of those things also that it's never happened, so it's hard to believe in it happening. It just to me the the college basketball is such a a blue blood dominated sport. That's not been the case the last two NCAA tournaments. Again, you've had Baylor and you've had Virginia winning national titles, and the last time we've had uh, NCAA tournaments. So maybe it's a shifting of the tide. Maybe we're seeing some of the blue bloods get knocked down a little bit. But even in those years, you look you look back. You had, I mean, Gonzaga. They've kind of turned a little bit into a blue blood now. They're they're not a, you know, they're they're a team that has been near the top of NCAA for the last uh, close to ten years at this point. UCLA, not really lately, but they they are a a historically a blue blood. Houston has had a lot of success in, in college basketball. Go back to their junior year, Michigan State. I mean, that one that one obviously uh, Tom Izzo has had that program at a high level for a long time. But then Auburn, Texas Tech were kind of new. Those are teams that haven't made that far before. So I, I think maybe the, the tides are shifting a little bit. I'll be curious to hear your answer, Gene, but I personally don't think Rick Barnes will win. Like I said, capable is kind of a, a an interesting way of putting it. I don't think he'll win a national title at Tennessee. But is he capable of doing it? I mean, I don't know how many coaches are legitimately capable of winning a national title in, co- in men's college basketball. Because, like, it, like I said, you go back 20, 25 years, it's been essentially six coaches, seven coaches that have, that have really been doing it, that have w- been winning national titles year in, year out. So I don't know. I, I don't think he will. Maybe he's capable of doing it. I just don't think he will. And I, I'd, I'd be willing to say I, I feel like a, a 95% confidence rating that 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 won't happen in his you know however many years left he has at Tennessee. I don't think that's going to happen. I'll give him a fighting chance just simply because the randomness of um, NCAA tournament has to at some point work in Tennessee's favor. Um, like you, you know, you look at some of. I mean, it's you know people can kind of just point to just just the flat out well if they lost. Um, but I mean, if you look at just some of the losses that they've had, I mean, you can go back to the what was it, the '08 team, or maybe the '07 team that lost in the Sweet 16 to Ohio State with when Greg Oden got like two fingertips on a on a shot at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you look at, you know, I'm pretty sure the Michigan State loss in the Elite Eight was like a last second miss or something like that. I mean, when you look at the randomness of it. At some point, that works in your favor and not necessarily against you. Now, is that specifically going to happen in this case? I mean, in the next couple of years, 
maybe maybe not but i mean what i <clears throat> what i do see is a program that is recruiting at a level that uh you'd have to at least give them a fighting chance i mean like the days in my opinion uh it's nice to like live off the blue blood narrative and all this that and the other i, I kind of have felt that's been overblown a little bit for a while now because um, you know, Carolina isn't just out here to get whoever, you know, just go pick and choose whoever they want to get anymore. Um, you know, like you're just as likely to be a one and done from LSU as you are from Kentucky in this day and age. Um, Villanova is now, I'm sorry, no, yeah, Villanova's out here winning championships without much in the way of one and duns. I mean, Gonzaga is, you know, national power, all these things that you've said. And, uh, but what I look at, what I see is just the changing scope of college basketball. Now, um, yeah, my biggest question always will be, do you have a mix of youthful talent and quality experience? And what I see, you know, year in, year out with Tennessee um, is youthful talent and quality experience. Now, I mean, like you have a Fulkerson who is a quality experience. You've got youthful talent. You had Springer Johnson. Now you've got uh, Kennedy Chandler. You've got the four-star kid. Um, you know, the four-star big. You've got the Huntley Hatfield kid. You, you've got quality. You've got talent. So if you can just infuse all that, um, I would say simply why not? Because, we're again, in this day and age, um, Kentucky's not winning anything anytime soon not the way of championships just my opinion not if duke's not gonna win anything anytime soon not the way of championships because of the way that they you know like i I remember looking at that duke team with zion williamson rj barrett and uh cam reddish and i'm like that team's not that good because you yeah you look at the three and then you get past that three like who do they have and like they should have got beat by UCF that year. They got beat, I think, by Michigan State in the next round. Uh, that team didn't even make it to the final four with what three of the top eight picks in the draft. So, like, what I look at is, can do you have a mix? And it seems as though as long as Rick Barnes is going to be in Knoxville, they're going to have a mix. And if you have a mix and you can put it all together for three weeks in March and in the first of April then you've got a chance. And I think that's all you can truly ask for. Will he get him to a Final Four? That's obviously, you know, that should probably be Tennessee's ultimate goal right now since they've never gone. But can they win a championship? I would say why not? Because once you make it to a Final Four, your chance is as good as anybody else's. Like, it's just, like, the NCAA tournament is such a, it's such a crapshoot. And, so many teams have made Final Fours who don't really deserve it. See George Mason, see VCU, see some of those teams. Uh, I'm not putting UCLA there. That was a good team who was just inconsistent. I yeah. get it. It was the whole first four to Final Four thing, and people say, you know, fall in love with that stuff. But there's so many times. I mean, heck, you could look at one of the UConn championships where they were a non-seed. Um, I think that was the that was the la- Jim Calhoun's last one. I think in 2010 that was when Kimba kind of just took over the tournament. Like that's yeah, that step back. That's the, that's the randomness of it. This was this team was the Nazi in the Big East tournament, and they win it all because he get a hot player. So what's to say Tennessee can't get a hot player that decides to take that has the ability to take over one of these tournaments. Because that's usually what it boils down to. Hey, Johnny Druzang is now a first-round draft pick because he got hot. 
and he, you know, and, and what he did, and I think that Elite Eight game, maybe the Michigan game, was just downright just crazy. I think he had like twenty points in the first half. Like it's, I understand, you know, people want, you know, will, will turn college basketball into a three week season. It's not. Um, there has to be something about. There has to be something said for those who endure through, you know, an entire season. Um, and you know who, who are really good teams through an entire season. You know, I didn't think Duke was a champion that year, but they were certainly must-see TV because they had Zion and Cam Reddish could get hot, and R.J. Barrett was a really good player. Um, but I, I think too much gets made for that, you know, because, you know, you know, people, we shouldn't stoop, you know, we shouldn't stoop our standards down because nobody cares about basketball until conference conference tournament season. Like if you're a good team, you should be noted as that. And Tennessee's had a lot of good teams. If there's just been one little thing that's messed them up, I mean, heck, I could keep going with the the two the ninety nine two thousand team that had close friends of mine on that team that had like a six point lead against Carolina in the Sweet Sixteen and loses it, and Tony Harris can't hit a shot. Like these are all things when you're talking about the randomness and uh, of that tournament. And that team, look, man, that's probably. If if people want to do this thing based off talent, that's your most talented team that they've ever had. When I mean, you got eight top one hundred prospects, I mean Tennessee doesn't have that now. With all the with everybody like you know loving all the recruiting, Tennessee does not have eight top one hundred prospects right now, and all eight of those prospects were from the state of Tennessee that time. So, and look at what happened to them. Can't hit a shot down the stretch. Carolina gets going. I don't even remember who the players were. Maybe Dante Calabria or somebody. No, I think he's younger. He's older than that. I don't even remember who's on those teams. I mean, Eric Montrose is already gone. I mean, Donald Williams. Names like uh, that are already see, you had In that North Carolina team, you had uh, oh, Joseph man. Forte, Brandon Hayward. Oh, yeah, Forte. Played against that guy. Um, yep, and Hayward, too. Yeah, Forte, Jason Capel, guys like that. Like These are the sorts of guys, you know, like they got you. You know, and you know, so like I, I get it. Like from a national champ, from a championship perspective, you want your team to be great for three weeks in March. At, at some points, you know, Tennessee's going to keep knocking at that door, and they're finally going to get in. And if they get to a Final Four, I think. I mean, then you're talking about a team that has as good of a chance as any. So. I think you know, it, it, with the amount of talent that is, and the quality p- pieces that. Are, are being assembled um, in in Knoxville, then at some point you keep knocking at that door, you can you have a chance to bust through, and I think that's all you can ask for. So I mean, that's a long way of saying yes. Uh, I think they'll win a championship under uh, Rick Barnes. They're capable of it at least. I'm not predicting it, but they're very they're just they're very capable. Look at that, Gene. I think if if our listeners had to had to choose. And call one of us Negaval, one of us a, a sunshine pumper. It, it'd be reversed. I, I think from our base star answers there. Yeah, that's that was interesting. By the way, that that 2000 North Carolina team also had a freshman Julius Peppers on the basketball team, <laughs> and I had to go back and look at pictures of him in a basketball uh, uniform. And my God, I cannot imagine seeing that. Who's listed as a, as a six seven two ninety freshman on that team? I can't imagine watching him come running at me to dunk a ball on the lane. He just. I mean, he looks like a football player in a, in a basketball jersey. Look at the pictures of him. Oh, boy. Very uh, scary. Yeah, very scary. But, yeah, no, I mean, you, that's a good point. I mean, you're talking about that that 99-2000 Tennessee team, 
and that roster was loaded. You, you had Vincent Yarborough, you had Tony Harris, Ron Slay, Isaiah Victor, C.J. Black, John Higgins. Oh, by the way, you also had a, a freshman Marcus Hayslip on the team as well. Uh, that that's and you had other names that I recognize like Dell Baker and Terrence Woods on there as well. I mean that that's a very very good team. Um, you know with a, a, a talent-wise there, and a couple of those guys went on to play in the NBA um, as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think you make some good points. I just, I don't know. I, I just have never seen Tennessee men's basketball reach extremely high heights. It just It's very hard for me to wrap my mind around that. And I think another thing that I, I can imagine our listeners thinking in their heads about this, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't gotten a question about this or comment about this really um, for many podcasts yet, Gene. Maybe would have if we were really, if we had really had this going during the season this year, but Rick Barnes' salary that gets thrown out there a lot about his his five million dollar salary and stuff. I mean, it's one thing to ask: Is he capable of winning a national title, at Tennessee, with his salary, with him being and right now looking at the USA Today um, coaches salaries for college basketball? He is number five in the country. He's right ahead of well. He, where Williams is no longer there. So I think that's that. this is kind of a little different too because you have guys like Chris Beard who is no longer at Texas Tech. He's now at Texas. I don't remember what his salary is, but I assume he's probably getting a hefty chunk of money there. But Rick Barnes is still, whatever, he's still top 10 um, in in the country and is only second to Calipari in the SEC in terms of um, pay, you know, an annual pay. I mean, what what sh- how does that affect the expectations for him? How does it affect the expectations for Tennessee? Because like we just laid out, Tennessee's only ever been to one Elite Eight. They've had uh, several times where they've come up just short. Even in that Elite Eight game, they were a, a, a you know a couple seconds, a couple minutes away from advancing to the first Final Four in school history. And they've had a, at least two other uh, Sweet 16 games I can think of where it was extremely close and Tennessee had a chance to get to another Elite Eight. Uh, does does that change anything in, in your mind? I, 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 I think that the ammunition of throwing that $5 million per year thing out there is, is a thing that I see a lot of just, to be honest, some people are just being trolls and like to throw that out there whenever Rick Barnes doesn't live up to expectations or doesn't, you know, they have a bad game and overpaying this guy $5 million a year to, to play these five stars 10 minutes a game and do this, you know, do this and that. I think there, there's fair criticism for him and, and the expectations, you know, looking at what he's making per year. But I am curious, in your opinion, how does that affect how you feel about, you know, should he be expected to win a national title with that salary? Is, is that a expectation that we should have on him? Or because you look at what he's done, you look at what Tennessee as a program is just getting to a final four. Would that justify his, you know, quote unquote, justify his $5 million salary? Because I, I, I personally think it would, that'd be school history, be his second final four ever. If Tennessee got to a final four, I think paying Rick Barnes $5 million a year is 100% worth it to me. Uh, but, you know, You'd be if in a normal year, in a non-COVID year, with the way you know, if that team you imagine would be pretty good in the regular season, they'd make up that money with TV money, with attendance money. With, you know, they they'd make up that money in a heartbeat. Um, really, probably just based off of you know, game in and game out, getting butts in the seats and getting concessions and stuff in Thompson Bowling. So, I think even just getting to a Final Four would quote unquote justify that salary. Um, but I'm curious, do you think that's something that because he's making that much money, because he's making money, you know? in the same sort of ballpark as, as guys who have made, you know, deeper runs and tournament more consistently and stuff. Does that make it, you know, is that expectation on him now for sure? Is that something we should, we should be expecting from Rick Barnes of Tennessee in the next, you know, I don't know, three, four or five years, however long he's going to be here. 
It shouldn't, but it will. I mean, he'll. I mean, people will. Like, if he was. Here's the thing. If he was making two point four million dollars and give you the same results, you'd complain that he's being he he's being overpaid. Um, like it. it the amount of money should not affect the job performance. It, it should not in any way, shape, or form in any line of work. Like, however, however much money you make, it's basically dependent on, it's, ba- it's based off of, you know, what's the market dictate? And at that time, you know, the market dictated that if you want to keep this guy, you're going to have to pay him. Um, I, I've never understood why fans want to get so wrapped up in how much a coach makes because last time I checked you're not paying it um, specifically in this case because you know what we all know is most of that was actually uh, financed by donors and um, not necessarily by you know Bob from uh, Strawberry Plains and and so like I've never understood that because how much money I should make, how much money I make should not dictate my job performance, especially when you're not paying. Now, if the donors were saying that stuff, you got me. But if it's just, you know, if it's, you know, somebody from Jefferson City or one of these random, one of these like out in Clinton, uh, you know, places like that. I mean, you could go up to Jellicoe if you want to, and you know, I mean, fan, Tennessee fans are everywhere. But like they, you know, they, you know, I don't care where you go, it should not matter. Like, should Rick be better? Perhaps, maybe. Um, Rick didn't sell people that they were a national championship team. I think it was mentioned, but if you don't if you're a top 25 team that doesn't mention we're competing for a national championship in November or December, if you're not mentioning that, then people aren't asking the right questions because everybody who is a top 25 caliber team. I mean, let's not forget it wasn't like a ton of people were picking them for national championships outside of Knoxville. I remember preseason like 10, 12 in that range, yeah, there is uh, way what, more preseason hype for that that last year of Grant Admiral and, and Bone and those guys. There's a lot more. I mean, they were almost like it's they were what number six in the country, I think preseason. Yeah, so yeah, there's there's, there's a lot more preseason hype for that team too. So like like so again, you get outside of Knoxville and everybody's like, yeah, we don't really, you know, maybe I, maybe everybody else kind of saw because you know, and plus, I mean, I had the argument. Um, last season, you know, in the nineteen twenty season, that I didn't think that people would rank Tennessee nearly as high based off of the season they were having when they were an average team. Usually, you kind of have to build that thing up. So, yeah, you brought in the freshman, and uh, that didn't quite work out. You know, you brought in, you know, it didn't work out national championship. Obviously, first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, so. Like that—that's something. It's just stuff. Like if they, if Tennessee was preseason number three and they finished, you know, like I, if I recall, there was like a football team maybe fifteen or so years ago that was like preseason number two or three and was like six and seven or something. Maybe it's the, maybe it was Fulmer's last team or something like that. But uh, it was a, it was a two thousand five team that was a I think they were number five in the country. 
Yeah, they okay. they were they were really highly ranked, and then they finished five and six that year. Yeah, so if that's what you're doing to me, if that's what you're saying, I get it. You're talking about a top 10, 12, 15 team going into a random tournament where, you know, where anybody can legitimately get hot at the same time, especially in a season like this season where nobody knew how good anybody was. Nobody knew anything about how good anybody was because, te- you know, conferences started their seasons at a different time. You had kids, you had players that with COVID. I mean, heck, I mean, we just talked, I'm pretty sure, last week about, you know, Fulkerson and how he was affected and, you know, stuff like stuff like that. I mean, you know, like you never really knew how good teams were. You never knew how healthy teams were. Nobody realized that um, nobody realized that Oregon State was a quality team. We didn't know that. Nobody realized UCLA, heck, the Pac-12 in general. To be, and people are too busy laughing at their football strums. And now I realized, oh, yeah, there was a time when UCLA was a dominant team. Arizona won, won a championship with Mike Bibby. Um, God, it's got, it's got to be more. I mean, USC's a good program now. I mean, like, you look around that league and you're like, okay, I get it. Like, there's quality there's quality teams in this league. Egg, Oregon just had runs recently, uh, Final Four championship game. It's a good league. It happens. But nobody really knew um, just exactly what they were. So, like, I just always will push back against the money thing. Um, like, if he was making $3 million, you'd still have the exact same expectations. You would. because You know why? Because you're Tennessee. And until somebody exerts themselves as the dominant program, um, Apologies to baseball, but usually you want that answer to be men's basketball or football. Um, I mean, I remember the Cal State Florida days too. <laughs> that used to be good in football, baseball. I mean, I understand that, but uh, and who knows? Maybe maybe I'd be not living in California. I can't speak on that, but um, but yeah, usually you will base your success off your football and basketball programs. Football one, men's basketball two. Uh, rare example occasions where you have a UConn or a Tennessee women that you know that that builds works the way up the ladder. But yeah, or heck, yeah, apparently LSU now because they're just handing money out left to right. But but yeah, so like that's that's my thing. Like if he was making two point seven million dollars, your expectations would be just as high because he's a he's a reputable name. Um, he had success at Texas. You recognize him, so you expect victories. You expect winning. You expect championships. And the best he's giving you, you know, and if we're framing this from a Tennessee fan's perspective, the best he's giving you is a co-SEC championship and a couple second-place finishes in the SEC tournament. So, um, But he's recruiting at a high level. He's doing everything, your, your respective program, People will, as long as you're, as long as he's coaching you, you'll be hovering around the top 25. And again, what it all boils down to is, eventually Rick's going to break through, and then you won't. And then when he wins it, uh, if when he wins it, then he won't be paid high enough. Welcome to, <laughs> welcome to. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, and, and the money in, in Ben's basketball is weird anyway. I mean, it, it's not to the same level where you know coaches are all, all the coaches are making a, a, a exorbitant amount like they are in, in in football but they're still making 
it's weird because you look at the you know I think a lot of the reason why people bring up that number for Barnes because he's sandwiched in between a, a bunch of guys who have won titles and made title appearances. But you look at kind of the the, the level levels of it. I'm looking at Calipari, Coach K, and Jay Ryder all kind of in a league of their own. Calipari made over eight million. Shazeski uh, made over seven million, and Jay Ryder over six million. No one else was even touching it. No one else came with him in a, in a million of those guys. They're kind of mm-hmm. their own kind of echelon of of of, of salary. You look at Chris Beard, you know, made a national title appearance, didn't win one, but he made a national title appearance. Then you have Rick Barnes, Roy Williams, Tom Izzo. But then you look at, to me, guys who are still kind of in that same kind of ballpark of, you know, looking at their, 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 what they're scheduled to make, their, kind of their, their pay around the $4 million mark or so. Bruce Pearl has that one Final Four appearance, you know, just like Rick Barnes has one Final Four to his name. Buzz Williams hasn't, hasn't made, you know, a bunch of deep tournament runs. Fred Hoidberg hasn't either. Chris Mack, I th- he obviously had a lot of success at Butler, <clears throat> and, but I don't think he's made it a big run at Louisville. And they have Brad Underwood at Illinois, who's making $4 million a year, who I think his best finish that wasn't vacated by the NCAA was a, a, a recently with Illinois was a, a round of, you know, this past year, the, the second round exit they made. And then you look at Utah with Larry uh, Chris, Chris Dowiak. I never can remember how to say his last name, but to me, the, the, the money in college basketball is weird because they're but looking at that list right there there are a lot of guys who you could say are overpaid based on what they're making and the results they've had so I, I think to me gene all coaches are overpaid for the most part because they're getting paying a, just a ton of money and yet the players are not getting anything that's a, that's a conversation for a different day that that'll be a whole podcast i'm sure if we ever get asked a question about yeah. uh, players getting paid or not so I'll, I'll avoid that for now and i'm sure someone will follow up on social media and ask us and we'll have to discuss it in a future podcast but uh, you mentioned Lady Vols there that we've got two more questions and one of them is about the Lady Vols uh, Jeff on Twitter at Florida Vols fan uh, I'm guessing that's FLA Vols fan so I'm guessing Florida Vols fan asked how is coach Harper able to pull in such talented assistants what is she selling so far she's been a home run hire by coach former which Again, yeah, he wasn't. She wasn't hired by the current administration. She was hired by Philip Fulmer as athletic director. Wasn't hired by John Curry, but Tony Vitilla was. It's hard to keep track of which AD made which hires at this point uh, for Tennessee because there's been so much so much turnover. Um, but we covered, uh, I think, last episode that uh, Kelly Harper had hired Samantha Williams as an assistant uh, for her staff to fill one of the two vacancies on her coaching staff, and then this past week i think maybe on I'm, I'm trying to find the post i think it was on monday or it might have been later than that i think it was a little bit later than that where uh they they made another hire lady vols did you had gosh i'm trying to find the name here we go Kelly harper added uh florida state associate head coach joy mccorvey joy mccorvey let me say that again uh she'd been at fsu for a few years like i said just got promoted to the associate head coach this past year she'd also been um at Michigan for several years. Again, seems like a, another really good hire for the Lady Vols. And uh, again, this is a Lady Vol program that has been down recently. But I think to answer Jeff's question, Gene, I mean, people talk about kind of the power T selling itself and you can recruit to Knoxville just by being at Tennessee, you know, in football. That's like double, triple, quadruple the case for the Lady Vols. I mean, you're talking about one of the, the two biggest names in the entire sport. It, it would be, you know, I guess the comparison for college football's sake would be looking at Lady Vols or, or kind of like a, right now, either the Alabama or Clemson 
of college. I mean, obviously, they haven't won the titles like those two teams have. But talking about name recognition wise, they're up there with the Ohio States, the Alabamas, the you know the Miamis, the Michigans, the USC's of college football, but women's basketball. They they literally were the powerhouse for decades of women's basketball, thanks to Pat Summit. And and I think part of that just because I think part of that is just because you can recruit and, and hire to Tennessee just based off the Lady Ball logo, based off the Lady Ball name. But also, I, I think we're seeing from things I've heard, and I'm sure you've heard even more, Gene, I'll, I think you'll have even better insight into this, but just from things I've seen from interviews and, and talks from former players, from other coaches and things like that, I think Kelly Harper is also just very well respected in the college basketball world, or the, the women's college basketball world. I think she's very well, well respected. Goodness, I can't say that. Well respected, and um, I think this, I think you're looking at the case where it seems like the Lady Vols are kind of, you know, coming up they're finally starting to bounce back a little bit they have an intriguing roster that has a pretty good amount of talent there uh, a pretty good amount of, of returning experience that's not just a bunch of young players as well I mean I, from outside looking in I, I could definitely see how this would be a very intriguing um, situation to come to uh, for Samantha Williams and Joy McCorvey and you look at I mean they're coming from programs that have had success in, in the past I, you know obviously I think Lady Vols are bigger than FSU or bigger than uh Oh gosh, I cannot remember where Samantha Williams came from now, but um, I mean she's been all over the place over so the last few years. I know she coached at uh, several different stops. NC State was where she played, and then Joy she coached at Kentucky. Yes, so. thank you. That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. Um, and then Joy c- played at St. John's and coached there, and then coached at Michigan as well. I think it just—I mean, I think it's like, like I said, a, fa- a combination of the factors that the Lady Vol name is just one you can recruit to and, and attract talent, coaching and players-wise, easy easily to. It's kind of like not like it's been that long since the Vols have won title, or you know we're making deep tournament runs either. And again, I, I think Kelly Harper has the respect of a lot of people in the college basketball world. And this roster is, I think, a, a pretty intriguing roster to come coach for, or co- you know, come and, and try to develop the talent here. Yeah, and I think what's good is that you are looking at maybe a two-year run with this current coaching staff now with. Uh, with the Florida State assistant and now, and obviously Samantha Williams, because you know there are questions in terms of who can step into uh, Renee Davis's shoes, and I know we kind of differed a little bit on just what uh, the new player I can't remember the tor- the, the girl from Troy, uh, what she can do and how she can help. But um, like what I look at is like if you can build that thing in a year or two then maybe you have to replace two more assistants because now you're building positively. Um, from what I saw, I mean, I saw enough to suggest that I thought the Tennessee was heading in the right direction last year. There were some inconsistencies. I get that. Um, there was, you know, I think the Georgia game was one that people weren't exactly fond of. They blew a big lead. But then they also turned back around and they, you know, they performed admirably against UConn, um, a UConn team that was, what, Final Four? Um, Final Four team. Uh, uh, no, they, be, they they knocked out. Well, wait, they might have been. They, four. they at, least, at least got the lead eight. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. UConn beat Baylor, and then Arizona beat UConn. Yes, you know the champions. Right. But uh, you know, so you know they performed there. They had the big win against South Carolina. They did enough to let me to believe that um, they're certainly trying to head in the right direction. And so. Like when you have a staff like this and you have somebody like Harper who has taken four different teams in NCAA tournaments, that's not a huge list 
if I recall. Um, Western Carolina, NC State, um, Missouri State, and now Tennessee, four different teams she's taken to the NCAA tournament. Like, there's a level of respect that comes along because that's not easy to do. Um, I actually covered a co- another coach who did that in Jim Foster, who did it at St. Joseph's, Vanderbilt, Ohio State, and UTC. So um, that's not easy to do. But so like what I see is people want to hop on board here because, you know, as you said, she's respected. You know, people she may not be a, a, a sexy name, but she's won everywhere. And if you can bring in if Tennessee recruits to itself, like so many people suggest, then you can bring in a couple of high quality recruiters that can immediately figure out exactly what this team needs and help bring that particular piece in. As I said, my biggest complaint against Holly, uh, against Holly Warlick, the former coach, not a complaint, but just an observation was I felt like she recruited stars. Uh, I felt like she looked at maybe the top 25, top 50 list of players and said, okay, let's see how many of these we can get. And... Hmm. It, it led like a to football head coach at Tennessee a few years ago. <laughs> so it, it led to a lot of quality talent, um, but it also led to no cohesiveness and a bunch of people hitting the portal, like almost on a year in year out basis, and a bunch of just just no chemistry at all. Like I saw Holly's last team, and I'm like, this team is so splintered. Hmm. They're all stars, and then you look around. You know, it had was that was barely two years ago, um, and all of those players: Westbrook's at UConn, uh, Mimi Collins is at Maryland, I believe. Uh, Zay Green is at Texas A and M. I mean, Renai Davis is gone now. Like all those quality pieces that you were bringing in, none of them stayed. None of them. In those last few years, it was just a revolving door. A revolving door so like one of the keys to recruiting is making sure that you all have meetings to diagnose exactly what you feel the team needs and then you're able to send those recruiters to go out there and get the job done and now they've and that what kelly has done is she's gone and gone she's gone out and got two of the best in the country one who is uh, who has a one who's experienced and one of the up-and-coming assistant coaches in the country uh, for a, a good Florida State program. So um, when people ask why, I mean, that's why. A respected coach, two young assistants, I mean, well, I'm sorry, one young assistant who senses an opportunity to go from Florida State to Tennessee. I mean, it's I mean, it's, it's almost the same as going, uh, a men's assistant going from Tennessee to, to Duke. Uh, mm-hmm. It well, sounds crazy because you're talking about power five to power five, but there is a difference there. Yeah, there is respect. There's a respect difference there, and uh, Tennessee's always going to win that battle in women's basketball, and uh, so that's so that's what's going to happen. Now, what do they do with it is the next question. But I kind of feel like if you're a Tennessee fan, you need to be happy with what you've seen. Yeah, I was trying to find that that note you mentioned about her taking four teams to the NCAA tournament. I I took forever to find it. That she's one of only uh, she was only the second women's basketball coach ever to lead four different teams to the NCAA tournament. It doesn't mention here in the article I'm looking at who the other one was, but she's one of only two oh, women's Foster. basketball. Who? No, that's Jim Foster. 
Jim okay, Foster. Okay, Jim Foster. Yeah, St. Okay. Joseph's, Vanderbilt, Ohio State, and UTC. Wow, nice. That's really cool. Um, but yeah, I really honestly, though, looking at... Go ahead. I was say, actually, that may not be 100% accurate because if I recall, I also think that maybe the former Rutgers coach may have done something similar. I don't remember. Uh, I, I really don't remember. That's fine. I, I think sure, I'm sure one of our yeah. listeners will probably point out to us. Uh, yeah. We, we do have, have several Lady Vol uh, fan listeners, and I'm sure, you know, I've, I've noticed Lady Vol fans don't just know Lady Vols. A lot of them know women's college basketball at large, and I think that's really cool. That it seems to be a, a pretty knowledgeable fan base from, from my interactions with a lot of Lady Vol fans online. Um, but to, get, to kind of go to the point there about Harper and the hirings that she's made, it, it seems really like the both her and Rick Barnes have made kind of similar style of hires. You, you mentioned an up-and-coming coach. You have Rod Clark on the men's side. You have uh, Joy now on, on the women's side. And you have Samantha Williams, who's a veteran. And granted, uh, just his name escaped me, but the, the other head coach, or other assistant coach for the, the men's side who Rick Barnes hired, he's not a he's not as veteran, I think, as, as what Samantha Williams has been as far as, you know, Justin. how much he's coaching. Justin Ganey. Yeah, thank you. Whew, I could not remember that for some reason. Um, he's not quite as veteran, you know, as as another as as Samantha Williams, in my opinion. But still, he's not a the youngest guy ever either. He's in his, I think he's in his forties. I want to say like forty, forty one, somewhere on there. So right. still, he he's got a good blend of experience and and young. But if you look at Rod Clark, who's my age, twenty eight. Um, that's just, that's a definitely a, you know a young and up up and coming coach. And he was we talked about him before a JUCO player who you know he had to fight and scrap for what he got and. We we both have talked about we like his attitude and like kind of what he brings to the staff here, but those are I think it's it's pretty cool and pretty interesting that both Harper and, and Barnes have made I, I think similar profile hires in the two assistant coaches they've made. It's been a I mean it, both these teams have had a lot of uh, changes this off season. The, the men's team had more transfers off the team and stuff like that, whereas Lee Vols mostly just had uh, players graduating and stuff. But they're bringing in I mean four signees and a, and a transfer. Men's teams bringing in right now five signees in a transfer and they have room for a couple more um and speaking of which that, that'll be transi- transitioning here to our last topic our last question um for the podcast this is from rubby it's at robo okay i, I do not it's r-o-b-a-d-o-b-92 on twitter <laughs> i just i did not read that until just now i wasn't going to try to pronounce it uh it's a provided that Andre tomba reclassifies and commits to tennessee ut would have one more scholarship still available. How should it be allocated? And asking it's not just uh, positionally, but positionally, and should that go to a high school player or should that go to a transfer? So if, if Andre Tomba does reclassify and commits to Tennessee and is able to, you know, come in and be immediately eligible for Tennessee this year, they have one roster spot. Is that something that Tennessee should try to fill this year? And if they do, how? Or is that something that we think they should wait and... and hold on for next year. We've kind of touched on this, Gene. I don't know if we've really talked about it directly, but we've talked about, you know, the two remaining roster spots and whatnot and kind of how that should be filled out. But I don't think we've directly talked about if they get Tomba and have one spot remaining, how should that go? And should they hold on to it for next year? Because I think I, I could see the logic in holding on to it for next year because with the way the transfer market and stuff is now, um, it'd be it'd be nice, and really also just kind of the way that Rick Barnes and his staff have done the last, really, two of the last three, if not the all of the last three recruiting cycles of identifying um, some late additions to the the recruiting classes. I know they did obviously in in twenty 
19. I'm trying to remember if they did it in 2020 or not. They've, they've obviously done it in the 21 class here with getting a, a dude to commit, getting Quentin uh, DeBonjay to commit as well. Um, and, of course, uh, on the Hatfield as well. But they've, they've been pursuing him for a little bit, and he obviously reclassified too. So I, I think I understand the logic in holding on to it for next year and you know trying to hold it for a, another transfer next year or another high school recruit. But I also think you're going to have enough turnover next season anyway with guys graduating, with guys you know going to the NBA and whatnot, that I don't know that you really need to hold on to it. I think, to me, if, if I'm Tennessee, if you get Tomba, I would make that last roster spot if you're going to use it for this year, which I think they should. But I, again, I can understand them not doing it. I would look and, and, and try to find what you think is a great fit from a transfer perspective and whether that's a, a, a you know another big man adds some some front court depth which i think if you get tomba you probably need to add another big man getting another shooter or getting a maybe a a, a james daniel type of a, a backup point guard like he had uh what three four years ago at this point with with him on the roster uh on that team that was picked to finish second last in the sec and then when you know won a share of the title regular season title i think that would be my my way of doing about it and, and obviously there's still i mean hundreds and hundreds of players in the transfer portal so and there's still gonna be a few guys that go into the transfer portal between now and and whenever because you just saw dylan DeSue go into it within the last week and then obviously now he's going to texas and texas is having a really good off season in men's basketball right now getting chris beard uh getting a a, a transfers and stuff they're getting to that uh, that roster but gene that's how i would do it i, I would say if, if you get tomba to reclassify and get him into this class and i think he's probably a guy who I don't imagine he'll play a whole lot, would maybe be a redshirt candidate, um, but you'd like to have him in and, and progress him at the college level rather than have him be, you know, at the high school level for another year, because I think he's reclassifying because he's a really smart kid, has the grades to do it, so he's going to do it. Um, and wants to do it. But to me, if you get him and you have one roster spot available, if you're not saving it for next year, I think you look for a transfer, not just to take a guy. I think you look for a guy who you feel like can help Kennedy Chandler or a guy who can either by being a, a, a backup point guard to him or by being just a really darn good shooter, a guy who's going to give you some more offense. Because I think you bring it in, Jemai May Shackley has good defense. You already have guys on the roster like Josiah, who's a really good defender. Um, I think, I mean, Fulkerson's not a bad defender either. So I think you have defense. It's not like you're just going to go from being a staunch defensive team the last couple of seasons that doesn't have good offense to suddenly now you're going to try to score a bunch of points and not care about defense. That's not how Rick Barnes operates. He, he definitely likes getting guys who have that tenacity and, and defense, defense mindset. Um, but I think you, I think you go after transfer and I think it's a transfer guard. Uh, maybe, maybe a guy that can play the three or like a small forward type, but you kind of have, you already have that with Justin Powell kind of, he's, he's more of a, a two, I think than a three, but you have that, you have, Josiah, who can play the three. We talked about Huntley Hatfield can maybe play the three. Um, he may be a, a, a big guy at the three. He can definitely do it from a skill set perspective. I don't know if you really need to go get another three. I think you can get a two or a, or a combo guard, like a, a guy who's a one that uh, can score more and, and, and does more than being a distributor. So that's what that's what I would do. I would go after a, a transfer guard, a guy who you know is going to be a valuable boost to this team and, and fill a hole that you feel like you still have in the roster because it's not guaranteed. We talked about Bailey and Viscovi will probably show improvement and probably play better next year um, based on the, the guys that they have around them. That's not guaranteed. If you can go out and find a guy who has a, you know, is a career, you know, like 35, 36% three point shooter or whatever. 
I'd say go nab him if you can. If if he wants to come to Tennessee, I'd say definitely go do that. Or a guy who, you know, averaged you know three, four, five assists per game at, at his wherever he was, go grab him. Make you know, help him help Kennedy Chandler along, and 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 you're not just relying on him. And then Episcovi, who's not a bad point guard, but you know we've seen what he can do there. Or or James, who is again not a bad point guard, but he's not a guy you want to be kind of the lead point guard guy. So that's my that's my um, answer, Gina. I'm, I'm curious if you have a different one or if you're more in the, the camp of maybe saving it for next year. Um, I'm never the camp of saving it because <laughs> I would save it. I would save it if what you need is not there. Like I'm not just going to use it to use it. But I think we're kind of in a similar in a similar boat here because I think I would prefer to have um, a guy in place who is a uh, I, I don't want a freshman guard I, I don't want an incoming freshman I want to I would personally want to find a transfer who has multiple years of experience uh, who I'm, I'm sorry maybe not uh, who has like multiple years remaining I should say. Yes. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah, two or three or four uh, years remaining. Maybe they played as a freshman this past year. Maybe they played as a sophomore last. Year, I mean, this past year. But whatever the case may be, I would go for a kid in the portal who has multiple years of experience because you've got a freshman guard and you know a highly touted freshman guard. Um, you have a, a sophomore in Beskovi who, you know, some of the complaint is that he can't really create for other people. Um, he can, you know, he may have some... He does creating for other people. So, and then your other guard options are Bailey, who is kind of just Viscovi with more usage, in a sense, in terms of what he does. Um and I mean, in terms of, I mean, I know they've got the Mayshack kid, but is that it? Am I forgetting somebody in their guard rotation, or is that it? Uh, let me double check. <laughs> it's been, it's kind of hard to remember the whole roster at this point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Josiah, kind of. Yeah, I mean, kind of Josiah. But... Yeah, but he's not one of those like kind of creator guys. Um, mm. No, he's definitely not. That's not how I would label him. Not at all. Yes. Yeah, so... Yeah, that, that's the, that's the guard rotation. Yeah, that you you named it. That's it. So, I would personally want to find one more person, get one more person in place, who again could be a sophomore. Maybe you know, like you certainly wouldn't mind if they're a pretty decent shooter. But if it like if you can get a maybe lesser talented but more experienced uh, Kennedy Chandler, then I think you're in good shape. Just per, just my personal opinion, because you've got you've got two guys who you know can hit shots um, going into next season in Vescovi and Bailey. Uh, you've got Josiah who can play a multitude of different roles and positions. But so like now, what you need is somebody. If Chandler's having a bad game, can still do some of the Chandler stuff, uh, but ha- is a little more experienced and kind of maybe limiting some of those because look man Chandler's going to have he's going to have like a five um, like a five turnover game or something and it's going to be it maybe in, in a conference game but you can kind of help yourself by bringing somebody in who um, who can maybe calm him down at times 
Uh, where they are, they're in a pretty good spot. But I think you can't really have too much of a guy who is like a maybe a sophomore or perhaps even a junior who was productive at uh, mid levels somewhere. Um, uh, but you know, obviously, when he, excuse me, when to hit the portal, and may again, maybe you find a graduate transfer there too. But I think you need a backup point guard. Uh, who can just whose position is point guard? You've got a lot of combo guards out there and pieces like that, but do you have a backup point guard to where those other guys, Viscovi and Bailey, can continue to just play off the ball? Maybe bring it up under certain circumstances, but a guy who can do all the things that Chandler does and is a little more experienced to maybe limit some of the mistakes. Yeah, and they're 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 still playing guys in the transfer portal. I'm looking at right now, like a guy that popped in my my that kind of grabbed my attention was a guy like Jacob Young from Rutgers. I don't, I don't think Tennessee's you know reached out to him or anything like that. But he's a guy who put his name in the NBA draft and the transfer portal. I don't know how much he's going to get from the NBA draft. He's he's a well, he's like a <laughs> he would be like a John Fulkerson. This would be his sixth year in college if he comes back because he played at Texas for two years, transferred and sat out, and then played Rutgers for two years. So he's a guy who's Again, he would be like John Forrest, and he's been up there forever. Um, that's that's as bad an experience as you can get, Gene. Uh, getting a guy who's who's the same age as Forrest or, or been up there as long as he has, but um, but he's averaged like fourteen and four this past year for Rutgers, which not bad. But you have other guys in, the, in there. You have I'm just looking at the two or seven transfer portal for just just point guard, not combo guard, just point guard, and there's still multiple multiple names out there um, of guys from different USF, SMU. Iowa State, Minnesota, like in Rutgers. Uh, you also still have Jalen Coleman-Lands, who's also Iowa State. Adam Miller from uh, Illinois, actually, who is, a, a, I think, a pretty high four-star coming out of high school. So there, there's – I mean, I don't know who Tennessee has contacted and hasn't. It, it seems like there's been a lot of – it's gotten pretty quiet on the news front on the transfer portal for Tennessee. I think – I mean, they can afford to be a little picky right now because they have – I mean, they don't have a ton of spots left, and uh, I think, you know, you look for someone who you, you've – know feels a need for you like you said you're not just gonna both of us said you're not just gonna take someone to take somebody um and i agree with you gene i I think you only hold that scholarship if you don't find someone in the transfer portal this year that can really help you but i think (laughs) i think you'll probably you can probably find someone i I feel like there's a plenty of guys out there um in the transfer portal who i feel like could come and help tennessee again i don't know who all you know Maybe one of the new assistants has ties to some of these guys or ties to someone I don't know about, but um, you've got plenty of names out there, and I think it's just a matter of trying to wade through all that to see, you know, what does Tennessee think they, they really have a big need for. But I, I agree with you. I think getting a point guard, getting a, like I said, even a combo guard would be um, beneficial. But I, I'm with you. I wouldn't hold it for next year if I could if I could go find someone that you feel like can come in and contribute in a significant way this upcoming season. But I think unless there's any other uh, closing thoughts, Gene, I think that's kind of how we'll end the podcast. Unless there's anything else you want to add to that or any other topics we were asked about this this podcast. Say no to Mac McClung. <laughs> I think he – I think he back he's Tech. going back to yeah. Texas Tech. Yeah. So, yeah, he's he's not Probably he's not going anywhere. He realized that there's not nearly as much um, – there's not a lot of interest in an inefficient – Two guard who stands six foot two inches, um, and is pretty decent. 
But he's I mean, he's gonna, he, he'll, he'll be he'll be and this isn't a knock on overseas, but he'll be he'll be an overseas guy. He won't be an NBA guy. That just no, it is what course. it is. So just stay there. I mean, that's a good program. I mean, unfortunately, they're going through a coaching change for him, but um, heck, he's still got two years of eligibility left. So hey, just go be a legend somewhere. Man, you've got over a thousand points in your career. You've been you've been good. You've been a good player. Um, not a good shooter. Uh, I mean, career career forty percent. Um, th- career thirty one percent from three point range. Like that's who you are. Uh, and so I mean, like I said, nice, nice player. I never really got the the Tennessee fans like just kind of love fest for him, maybe because he grew up relatively close by. But um, he, and he was he he had a chance to be fun. But I mean, like you would have thought that him not going to Tennessee was like completely Rick Barnes' fault. I'm like. It may have been, but it wasn't a bad decision either. But nice player, certainly a nice player. But I mean, uh, he would not have been, even if he was still available, he would not have been what I would consider the answer to my question as to what they need. They didn't seem the guy to stem the tide if things aren't going. Like you said, James Daniel, that'd be that sort of player is kind of what you need right now. You don't need an inefficient two guard who's just real short. Um. Yeah, you don't need that. You kind of have that right now. A taller version of Victor Bailey. Uh, and if you look at their stats, I'd say that they're probably pretty comparable. But uh, I know Nathaniel has been listeners. Nathaniel has been teasing me with this Mac McClung because he knows that I have thoughts uh, on that. And so I figure I just I just go ahead and just uh, break the glass there and say how I feel about the kid. Really nice player, really do. I, I really truly think he's a really nice player. I uh, just, again, like becoming a good program is about addressing needs. And uh, it, maybe if they didn't get those two freshmen last year, the two freshman guards, I would say, yeah, go get them. But he's no different of a player than Keon Johnson, who's taller, more athletic, just as inefficient. Um, with much more upside, and he's, he's, no, he's no different than he's he's really no different than Victor Bailey. When you look at their efficiency numbers and stuff; they're very similar. So it's and again, we've, we've we've talked about this I think off air quite a bit too. He he would not be getting the usage rate at Tennessee that he had gotten at every other place he's been at in, in college so far. So yeah, that can be put to rest. Uh, I, yeah, absolutely. But thank, thank again, I, yeah, <laughs> I do want to give a shout out and thank you to all of you who asked questions. Uh, on Twitter, we have Jeff, we have Rubby, who I, I know how parents you're at now. I looked at it while uh, June's talking. It's Robin Bob, which I think is funny. Robin Bob 92 uh, thank you for asking questions. Garth Vader, thank you. And then I'm from Facebook. We also had, again, uh, let me pull up the name really quick, Daniel Satterfield. So thank you to all of you who asked questions. Uh, we really appreciate it. Some pretty good topics there. I, I, I thought it, all of them were really good questions. So I, I thought they really all maybe even could have been their own podcast topic, but I wanted to throw them in here for a kind of mailbag discussion episode here. But thank you all so much for tuning in here. We really appreciate it. Again, follow us on Twitter at Vol Hoops Fever, Facebook, Vol Basketball Fever, and we're all everywhere you can find podcasts as well. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel. This has been another episode of the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. <laughs>